0: Well, good morning. Uh, Did not think that uh, we would be at this again so soon, uh, preaching here in an empty auditorium, but we're glad for the opportunity and uh, glad that you have taken the time this morning to join us. And we're going to dive right in uh, to the word. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with Lance Armstrong, but Lance Armstrong won what would have been uh, were his first of what would have been seven record-breaking history-making Tour de France uh, victories in 1990, and that was his first. And um, the Tour de France, if you're not familiar, is a 21-day event that takes place in 23 days, 21 stages or races over the course of 23 days, about 22 miles through some of the most grueling mountain uh, paths that are imaginable to man. Well, prior to his first victory in 1999, at the age of 25, uh, Lance Armstrong contracted testicular cancer that spread to his lymph nodes, his lungs, his brain, and his abdomen. And after numerous surgeries... Um, and all kinds of treatment, he was cured. In fact, it was viewed to be an amazing victory for him. And a year later, he established the Live Strong Foundation, one of the country's largest cancer charities that exists. Uh, Two years later, after his battle with cancer, in 1999 is when he won that first Tour de France, the first of seven. And almost overnight, he became an American sports icon, an all-American hero. Uh, One writer said his goodness seemed unimpeachable. And when you look at all that he'd gone through and how he'd battled and and won a race that was usually given to uh, those of Europe. Uh, It was an amazing story, but he cheated. He lied. In fact, he admitted that he had taken all seven years performance-enhancing drugs that allowed him to perform as he did to win those races. He betrayed family and friends and teammates Said he was caught up in his own myth and felt no guilt. And if he had it to do all over again, he would. Wow. How ironic that his foundation called Live Strong is a name that he didn't practice in his own life. Paul tells us uh, in one of the best known passages of Scripture in the Bible, something that we know about in the New Testament, the the Christian armor. He begins the study of the Christian armor with these words, finally, be strong. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Not live strong. Finally, be strong in the Lord. The finally is, here's the rest Here's what I have to say at the conclusion of my thoughts as he ends his letter to the believers in the church at Ephesus. Finally, here's how I want to wrap this all up. And uh, we go back to the beginning of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus where he tells us that as it relates to our salvation and God's love for us, that God chose us. He adopted us into his family. Our sins have been forgiven, and he poured out his grace all over us. He has given us hope. He's given us a glorious inheritance. But he said it wasn't always that way because he moves into chapter 2 of Ephesians. And uh, in verse 1, We read, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. We'll come back to that ruler of the kingdom of the air. But he goes on down, verse 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, for it's by grace that we've been saved. Paul moves on through the rest of chapter 2 and 3, which he finishes the theological teaching section of Ephesians. And then he gets into chapters 4, 5, and 6, which is the practical application. Okay, these are the theological truths that we know to be evident. Now, how do we live in light of that? He gets to chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord. Remember, as we talk about the Christian armor, Paul's in prison. In fact, he's probably chained to a guard right there, right close to him, right next to him, right with him, who's dressed in this Christian armor. We'll talk about that. But Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And he says in light of that calling, then he goes down to verse 17. He says, I tell you this and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. He's talking about those who don't know God. The Gentiles don't live as those who don't know God as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Don't live like you did when you didn't know God. Live like one who does know God. In fact, he goes on down to chapter 5 in verse 1. And he says, follow God's example. Be an imitator. Mimic God. Follow his example. Then down to verses 8 and 9. And here it is, verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 5, or 8 and 10, excuse me. For you were once darkness. This is what you were like before you knew Jesus. You were once darkness. But now, now that you've been saved, now that you've been forgiven, now that your life has been chained by the grace of God, now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. That's what Paul's challenging the Ephesians to do. Live like you know God. Let it be seen and find out what pleases the Lord. That's it. That's what Paul has to say. And then we get down in our text to Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul starts again there at verse 10. And this is that concluding uh, truth that he wants to get across, but when Paul talked about the the live as if you were light in the Lord, live that way because you are he 's talking yes to the individual believers, but he 's talking to them together as a church. Hey, we just finished a series we 're in this together, and that 's exactly what Paul is saying. you plural, you live. In the light, as children of the light. And you, plural, find out what pleases God. Yes, as individual believers, but as the church of God. That's what Paul's talking about. And he's saying, you, together, we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul's telling in the church We need to get serious. We need to get serious. Why? Because the devil is. The devil is very serious. He says, we are in a battle, and we're going to see that. We are in a fight. We are, there's a war going on. And he's going to tell us that we need to put on that armor of God, that we need to buckle up. And get ready. so please open your Bibles this morning, if you haven't already, to Ephesians chapter six, Ephesians chapter six, and we're going to start right there at verse 10. Now here's the whole gist of these next 10 verses, verses 10 to 20 that we're going to be looking at that have to do with the armor of God, our titled "Buckle up." Buckle up the armor of God. And so as we look at these verses, we're going to look at the, 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 the whole point of what Paul is trying to say. He's saying, be strong in the Lord. Depend on him. Be strengthened by his might. It is not something that we, we just try to, to build up on our own. No, no, no. We depend on his strength we are empowered by him it is his mighty power that we need to learn that we need to depend upon it's the same as paul said in philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 when he said i can do all things through christ now in the context he was talking about living in want When he didn't have anything he needed and I I know what it is to be in need and yet I can do all things. He also said, and I know how to live when I have all that I need. But that was the strength that could come only from God. That's the concept here. We must rely on the power of God. We need to put ourselves under his authority. We need to be submissive to him. We need to be dependent upon him. We need to lean in to him. We need to get close. We've talked about that from James 4. Draw near to God. And that's what we need to do as we fight this battle. Humbly depend upon God because he's provided all, all that we need. So, listen, if we lack the strength, if we go down in defeat, it's because of our neglect. Not because. God let us down somewhere along the way. We have all we need, Peter says. In chapter 1 of 2 Peter, he said that it is God's divine power that has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need for godly living comes from God's divine power. You see, this isn't a quick fix or... Or just some shortcut to victory. That's not what Peter's talking about. That's not what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 6. It's a lifelong battle that requires dependence every day of our lives. It's a continual acting on the truth that we know. James says it this way. We can't just be hearers of the word we must be doers of the word it doesn't matter if all we do is hear the word if we don't ever obey it and put it into practice because that's where the victory comes that's how we are strong in the Lord but how do we do this How do we do this? If that's the the what, be strong in the Lord, you got to be asking, well, how in the world do we make that happen? Well, Paul continues on in verse 11, and he says this, we do it by putting on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that we can be strong in the Lord. That's the whole point. And we're going to take a look over the course of these next few weeks at the various pieces of the full armor of God as they're found in these verses. And uh, we're going to take a look at those pieces and how they make up the full armor of God. Each piece is crucial. We can't let one slip because we'll have a weak spot in our defenses. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the course of the next couple of weeks, putting on the full armor of God. And why? Why? Why do we need to put on the armor of God? Why can't we just stand on our own strength and our own knowledge and what we know to be true? Why is this so? Well, Paul continues in verse 11, and he says it this way. So that, put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Why do we need the armor of God? Because we're in a battle against Satan. Against the devil. We are battling against the devil's schemes, and we've got to take our stand against what he is trying to do. The idea of standing against means that we are to offer resistance. We are not to allow the devil to push us around, to take back ground that's been gained in our lives. Now, listen again, this is a defensive stance. We resist the devil. That's what we're told. And we firmly hold our position. We hold our ground against the devil. We don't go on the attack. The armor that we're going to look at is, is, is about defense. It's about holding our ground and standing strong. So what are the devil's schemes? What are those things that he's out trying to do to get us? What is the devil's strategy to get us to fall, to get us to fall into defeat, to get us to, to get further away from God, to allow distance between us and God in our daily walk with him? How, how, what is it the devil's trying to do to make us ineffective in our lives as individual believers before God? Well... And I'm going to suggest a few, not in any way suggesting or attempting that to answer all of what or present to you all of what the devil's schemes are. But let me just share a few with you this morning. Satan started with doubt and dishonesty, doubt and dishonesty. It began in Genesis 3 when the serpent, the devil, Satan uh, came up to tempt Eve, and and what did he say to her? Did God really say that? You remember, have you heard that whispered in your ear as you know uh, the obedience that God expects of you? And then there's that little whisper. Come on, that's not really what God meant, is it? Did God really mean that when that's what he, we read? in his word well the devil's going to do all he can to create doubt about what god says in his word in fact we just saw some of the latest research that came out in the last couple of weeks that over 50 percent of what we call evangelical believers don't consider the bible authoritative in their lives that doesn't that's not where we need to decide how we're going to live so we can do what we want and if the bible says it well not so sure it's all that authoritative. Well, that's part of the doubt and the creating of doubt. and uh, The dishonesty, listen, in John chapter 8 and verse 44, we read this. Jesus himself is talking about Satan and he's talking about the devil. And in John 8, 44, he says, you belong to your father, the devil, And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. That's quite a way to put it, huh? Jesus says, yeah, when he lies, he's speaking his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, Jesus is talking to those who don't no god they'd never put their faith in Jesus Christ they didn't have any kind of a relationship with god he's saying people without god are of their father the devil who's the father of lies and if you know jesus i guarantee you satan is going to do everything he can to continue to lie to you to get you to follow your own thoughts his ways rather than obedience God. Secondly, deceit. Maybe not too far removed from the doubt and dishonesty, but deceit. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and starting at verse 13, and you can read the context so you know where we are in this process. But such people are false prophets, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. You ever heard of an angel of light? Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Looks like something God would have you to do but yet he is an angel of light. Verse 15, it is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. Deceit. Came across this statement in in one of the books I read this week. Evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It gains entrance by appearing attractive, desirable, and perfectly legitimate. It is a baited and camouflaged trap, deceit. That is how the devil works. And he's saying we need to be careful. We need to watch these schemes of the devil because what is sin most times won't look like sin when we step into it. Thirdly, doubt or or disappointment and difficulties. And and I'll just leave that. I'm talking about circumstances. Folks, hey, there there are believers all across our country today who have gotten all hung up on this COVID thing. You know, I am not thrilled with, with meeting all by ourselves today, with you sitting at home. But those are the circumstances. What do we do? Do we give up? Do we just let the devil do whatever and quit and, and not do all of what God's called us to do? No. We say, all right, here's the truth: God works all things together for the good of those who love him. That's what Paul said in Romans 8:28. God is using, yes, even the virus, even the COVID-19. Even the lack of of financial stability that the whole economy is experiencing. Even the craziness of the election that's going on. God is working all things together for the good of those to love God. All circumstances. And we many times are terribly disappointed in circumstances, in, in, in the way, the uh, th- life goes and the difficulties that come into our life and we allow it to disappoint us and we allow it to get us down and we allow satan to defeat us in that regard that's one of the schemes of the devil division and disunity man i i'll just simply refer to first corinthians chapter 11 we've been through that a couple of weeks ago when we celebrated together the lord's supper And how did Paul begin teaching the church at Corinth about that? He was saying, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. They were coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to remember Christ's death on the cross for our sin, and they were divided. Wow. Division and disunity. And then fear. Oh, man. Fear. Talk about COVID-producing fear. Folks, if if we want to hide behind all of that and, and let it scare us and keep us from doing all the things that God has called us to do, listen, God has allowed those circumstances. We can't react in fear. You know, one of the greatest examples of fear, I think, is Peter's denial of Christ. Back in Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, This is the night before Jesus went to the cross, the night that he was betrayed. And and as they were meeting together at the the Last Supper, as we know it, uh, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, he's talking to Peter, Satan, get this, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. He's talking to Peter, but he's talking about all the disciples. And he says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail and that when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Then he goes on, and down in verse 33, Peter replies, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Even after Peter, or Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat and I'm praying for you. Peter says, no, Lord, no, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Verse 34, Luke 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Well, you know the rest of the story. Because if you go on down and read through verses 54 uh, to the end there, uh, Verse 62, in Luke 22, you'll find out that Peter did exactly what Jesus told him he would do. He denied three times that he knew the Lord. Satan was in that. Now, it's interesting that Jesus said to Peter, he said, But I want you to know, Peter, I'm praying for you. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brother's. When you've recovered from your fear, when you have learned that you fell prey to the devil and that you've gotten back on your feet and are forgiven, you strengthen your brothers. You tell them about how fear took you down and allowed Satan to get a victory in your life, but you teach them that that's not necessary because we can stand strong in the Lord. You see, our Ephesians text doesn't tell us to go on the attack. It doesn't tell us that we, we have to do all kinds of offensive things to fight Satan. No, it says that we are to stand firm, that we choose not to back down. And we understand, verse 12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We sometimes think that. When you're involved in a difficult situation with people within the church, in your neighborhood, at work, at school, wherever it may be, sometimes we feel like the we're being we're under attack of Satan and and what we must remember our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle, that's the word for wrestling. There are times when we are going to have close, almost hand-to-hand comment or, or combat with the devil and it's the battle that's going on. It is the classic the classic struggle between good and evil, the classic struggle really in Scripture between God and the devil. That's what we're talking about. That's what Paul is saying. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We sometimes think it's the the governor who won't let the businesses open, or we think it's the president, or we think it's or the other politicians, or it's the, the law, or whatever it may be. Folks, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against Satan and the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil. That's who we're in the battle against. And we need to stand strong. Well, again, as we wrap it up, again with emphasis, Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 6, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that when the day of evil comes, and that's not just any one day, it is not... It is, it is not a specific, probably various difficult times in the day in which we live. Uh, but when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, that we stand. That's what Paul is saying. And we're going to learn exactly what it is that is necessary for those of us who know Jesus to stand. We're told to resist the devil and he will flee from us. We can stand strong in the Lord. The victory is ours because of the power and strength of Jesus. We can't do it. It's not about live strong and just do it all yourself. No, it's be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You know, sometimes in our understanding of Satan, we do one of two things. In fact, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letter, says that we typically as believers make one of two mistakes. We either minimize the power of Satan. We, we don't give him any credit or we give him too much credit. Either one is wrong. What we need to recognize is we can claim the victory in Jesus because of the power of God. Not our own power and strength. Paul knew what that was like. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul said this, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was giving a thorn in the flesh. Look at this. A messenger of Satan to torment me. A messenger of Satan. Listen. The devil can attack us. He's not omnipresent. He is not everywhere present at once like God is. He is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful like God is. He's not. And we sometimes think, yes, I can't stand up to the devil. No, in and of ourselves, we can't. However, what's critical is that we understand that God's provided the victory. And so Paul had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. And he goes on down, verse 9, and we read this. But he said, God said to me, because we're told, Paul said, I prayed three times to God to take it away. And God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. I can't do it alone. My weaknesses, so that what? Christ's power may rest on me. You see, the armor of God and resisting Satan. Be strong in the Lord. Stand in his power. That is not just a good idea. It's not just one of many good options. It's not just a great possibility. It's not a could be. It's not a hope so. This is God's plan. Victory is a no-so. This is God's guarantee of victory. Not because of our strength. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Resist the devil. Put on the full armor of God and we can claim the victory. And as we take these next few weeks to go through the Christian armor, I want to challenge you not to allow Satan victory in your life but be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Buckle up. Take a stand for God's victory that he's already provided. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the victory that he provided when he rose from the dead. And as Paul said, even in Ephesians chapter 1, that That same power with which God raised Jesus from the dead is the power that has provided victory against Satan and his demons as we stand strong, as we resist the devil, as we put on the full armor of God. Oh, Lord, help us to know your victory. Don't let us live in defeat Don't let us fall to doubt and disbelief and deceit and the dishonesty and lies of Satan. Don't let us get wrapped up in the disunity that he wants to create within our churches. Don't allow us to be discouraged by the circumstances all around us. Help us to know that you are in charge, that you have provided victory, that you have made it possible for us to stand strong, to be strong in the Lord. Oh, God, if there are any listening today that don't know the power of God to defeat sin because they've never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, as the only one that can forgive their sin and change their life. Oh, God, I pray for that victory in their life. Pray that you'd save them. Save them now, today, for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.